Oh, good morning. Hope you enjoyed this rain we're getting. It's beautiful out there. Um, if we haven't met, I'm Josh. Uh, I get the privilege of kind of talking at you for a little while today. Um, if you are new, a couple, couple things. Just want to be up front with you. Um, we certainly hope, um, uh, kind of part of our agenda here is we hope at some point you feel safe enough, courageous enough, whatever, whatever the term is there, um, to kind of self-identify and make yourself known. Like a, a, one of the things that we think uh, pretty confidently based on the scriptures that in Genesis 2 and 3, God makes man and woman, and then he says it's not good after look, making man. Uh, it's not good for man uh, to be alone, meaning it's not good for humanity to be alone. In other words, there's something really important about uh, community and relationships, and we just really wholeheartedly agree with that and would love to begin some kind of relationship with you if you're new and uh, uh, some kind of dialogue where we're starting to talk. And the best way about uh, which to do that is that little program bulletin you got on the back, if you would be so courageous um, to write your name and whatever contact information you feel comfortable giving us, whether that's an address or uh, email address, phone number, whatever that is. Um, would love, love, love uh, uh, your, your timing to know that you're here and love to follow up with you. Now, as you see the back of that, on the bottom there's kind of uh, some lines for, uh, if you've got some prayer requests, some stuff going on in your life, got, uh, feel free to jot that down. And then for all of us, one of the things that's new here is uh, trying to help us kind of engage in the scriptures throughout the week. Uh, we started this past week something called Overtime. Uh, so every Tuesday at noon, live on our Facebook page or also at clcfamily.church, you can click on media to see this or watch live to see this. Um, there'll be kind of a question and answer session at 12 o'clock noon. We'll be up in the studio you, and we'll answer the questions you have from the sermon. So if you have any questions uh, today, feel free to jot them down on the back of that uh, bulletin, tear it off, and then there's some offering baskets and baskets on the way out. You can drop them in there. Now, can't listen to it live. That's quite all right. We understand that. And uh, you'll be able to listen to it uh, via podcast audio. You can go to Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Or you can just log into the Facebook page or the website later and listen to it. So I uh, got any questions this morning, feel free. Please, please, please do. Ask away, write them down, and we'll be happy to, I'll be happy to kind of take a stab at those on uh, Tuesday um, at noon. So um, here's kind of how it works around here. We teach in what's called a series. And by series, it just means it takes us a, a few weeks, if not a couple months, to get through kind of a big idea. And right now we're in week four of an eight-week series, and you see it behind me. It's called uh, Jesus Creed. Uh, don't want, if you want to kind of catch up, you can go listen online later um, or listen via podcast later. But um, here's kind of the big premise. Um, a creed, uh, just simple definition, is just a set of beliefs that guide your life, right? Uh, so you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be religious or spiritual to have these creeds. We all have them. Um, and so there's kind of two different ways we, we kind of operate in these creeds. Uh, one of the ways would be kind of in the here and now. Like, okay, what is it that I believe about life and therefore do to experience joy, happiness, satisfaction, whatever it is, right? Uh, many of you work as a result of a creed, right? You go to your job to make some money so you can pay your mortgage, put some money in the bank, whatever that is, because you have this set of beliefs that tells you that um, you must work to have things, right? You must work to be able to pay for things. And um, some of our beliefs are in order to enjoy life, we need things, right? Uh, or at least, if not things, we definitely need shelter, we need food. And so for all of us, we have this creed that says, okay, we live a certain way to achieve the results that we want to achieve, right? So a set of beliefs that kind of guide our life. And there's typically two different ways by which we look at these creeds. One is all about the here and now. How do I enjoy life now? How do I find pleasure and satisfaction and happiness right now, here and now, right? Um, all about what's present. You got up this morning. You came to church today uh, somewhere as a result of a creed. You believe that God would be happier with you maybe or you feel like you should learn more to understand life better or you need to appease your spouse or your grandma, whatever that is. You are here as a result of some kind of 
um, guiding belief in your life. So all that has to do with, excuse me, uh, the here and now. Now, for many of us, if not most of us, there's, a, there's another side of creeds that we kind of are working through, and it's not about the here and now, but it's about if the here and now is all material, there's this immaterial world, right? This is why we say when someone dies, rest in peace, or heaven got another angel, or they're in a better place, right? For many of us, there's this belief that somehow um, there is the natural world that we experience, and then at some point, maybe we can get ushered into this supernatural world. Now, some of us are curious about whether or not you can do that now, right? Look deep down within you, look underneath the rocks, look out in the universe and find this way to have access to this creator or the universe or whatever it is. Or many of us are suspicious that perhaps there's something beyond the birth to death experience. Like, okay, you're born and then you die, however many years later. And then that kind of begins this, this new life for you. Now, um, most religions are trying to sort through that. And so uh, our creeds are trying to help shape how do we get access to that you know, karma, good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people, right? And this, many of us have this operation that we think if we, if we have more good days than bad, then somehow we get into whatever that good place is later. And so there's just these creeds. Now, um, another way that you could use the word creed, a little cautious here, because a lot of us don't like this word, is religion, right? And so creed is a set of beliefs that guide our life. Religion would be this. This is kind of the working definition we've been kind of operating for the last three or four weeks. Religion is man's attempt to either get to God or appease God or become your own God, right? So as we kind of survey this world, how do we get access to heaven, eternity, the creator, the universe, whatever it is, part of our understanding is that we have this uh, set of rules or guidelines that get us there, right? So if I behave well, I can make God happy with me. Another way to kind of present that is um, a lot of us are trying to figure out how do we make ourselves presentable to the, the creator, right? So if there's a heaven up there and some party to get into. Okay, what is all that I got to do in the here and now to make myself presentable when that day comes, when I die, whenever that is, right? And so religion is just our attempt to appease God, right? So we build a ladder, build the tower, whatever it is, to try to somehow make God happy with us. Or many of us would go, ah, we don't believe in that. I'm not even sure there's a creator out there. So there's another set of religion. So religion isn't just about um, trying to attempt to get back to God. For many of us, Religion isn't man's attempt to appease or get to God. Religion is our attempt just to become our own God. Now, that's not in this, maybe it is for some of us, but this isn't in the arrogant sense that you want people to bow down and worship you, right? Uh, You would say, or I would say, well, I don't know if there's a God out there. And if there's no God out there, if he hasn't spoken to me, then it just makes sense that the best thing I can do is just participate in the best life I know how. And so I'll just create my own set of rules, my own set of guidelines, my own set of principles. And you've kind of created your own creed where you kind of are in charge of the whole thing, which makes you the God of, of your kingdom, right? Not in the, I need people to worship me, but in the, I don't know what else to do, so the best thing I can do is just get up every day and live my own life the best way I know how, and you've kind of created your own religion. You wouldn't call that, that uh, this creed that guides your life. Now, others of us, just candidly here, other of us actually do believe there's a God, right? They believe there's a God out there. You've heard about him, you've heard about his rules, and you've said, God, I've said, I'm not really interested in your rules, I like my rules and my guidelines better. So there are some of us in this room, many of us that just, we go, maybe there's a God out there. Maybe he's told us what to do. Maybe he's given us some spiritual books, you know, the Bible to follow. And um, frankly, we don't think he's that much fun. And we don't think that uh, his guidelines would lead to a um, enjoyable life. And so many of us have just said, nope, God, not interested in that. We like our own plans 
better than yours. And so for many of us in many different categories, as we're trying to work through these different creeds, what's happened is, is we've gone, okay, um, we're just going to do things our own way. And so the argument over the last three weeks, a persuasive speech, whatever term you want to use here, is trying to convince us that there actually is a better way to live. There is a better way to operate your life. There is a better way to both enjoy the here and now, right? How do I enjoy the here and now right now? And there is actually a way by which you access this eternal realm, right? And the Bible refers to this as the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And so part of the conversation we've been having here is going, there is a better way. And it's not based on a set of rules or principles because if you try to operate that, what you're going to discover pretty early on is that you're not that good at following your own rules, much less God's, right? So it can't be about, you know, these rules. And it also can't be about we have to dive down deep and you know, empty ourselves of ourselves and then figure out how to accept ourselves as we are, like look down deep inside of us or way out there in the, in the universe to find some kind of hope. Um, in fact, so this is, these are not new thoughts. These thoughts have been wrestling forever for all humanity. Is it about a set of rules that we've got to figure out how to please God? Is there some philosophical, philosophical thought to please God? And 2,000 years ago, a guy named John, John the Beloved is how we refer to him in the scriptures. He's one of Jesus' buddies. He follows Jesus for three years of ministry, and then actually is there when Jesus is dying. He's there when the tomb is empty, and he's there when this movement of the church starts. He writes us this beautiful gospel, I mean, the the good news of Jesus' life, this biography about Jesus' life. And what he starts it with is this argument of going, no, 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 no. There is a better way to live, and it's not a set of rules or principles or a set of understanding. The, The creed that you should live by is not based on thought or belief. It's actually based on a person. And he tells us later, we just sang about it in that second song, in John chapter 14, his same biography, he says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Meaning, there is a way by which you can enjoy life. There is a way by which you can find pleasure. And there is a way that, by which you can have access to God. He says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says this. And he says, no one gets to the Father but through me. And so he makes this beautiful declaration, not in this arrogance or dogmatic way, but a specific way going, the way by which you live should be based on this God incarnate, Jesus. So that's kind of been the premise of what we've been working through. Now, the reality is, uh, it's not just the outside world, different religions that get this wrong. Frankly, we've done a pretty poor job within the, the Christian church of explaining how, do we do, how we do this, right? So a quick review from last week, kind of the understanding for many of us is this. We some point in our life, I don't know, maybe you're at, maybe when you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, at some point, you look up and go, this isn't what I thought it would be, right? I set out to have all these goals, these plans, and now I'm 40, I'm married, have kids, and everything I thought about in my 20s that was going to fulfill me, either I've achieved, and they didn't bring the fulfillment and satisfaction I thought they would, or I'm not really good at achieving the goals that I set out. And either way, you're left um, defeated or hopeless, right? I'm not very good. I can't do these things. Or, boy, all these things, my spouse, my kids, they didn't fulfill me in the way that I'd want to be fulfilled. So you start searching. We start searching. And kind of the, the understanding is you kind of look at your life and it kind of looks like this, right? If you can't see, it's kind of a yellow, greasy. It's actually oil, if you're wondering. And just this greasy thing. I mean, you can see through it. There's a light coming into it, but it's just... It's just not what you dreamt of, right? It's not filled with purity and hope and joy. And so you start, start looking at your life. I'm going to be a Christian and look at your life this way and go, there's something off. So then you start the journey of how do I find what I need to find? And most religious um, approaches, this, the creeds to this, and by the way, even the Christian church uh, kind of teaches this in, 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 in a heretical, a wrong way, right? And they would say, okay, now that you understand your life, your goal in this is to find everything that's wrong with it, right? Okay, if you got some stuff wrong with your life, let's start emptying those things, right? So, okay, don't drink, don't cuss, 
Don't listen to that music. Uh, don't do that. Don't stay out late. The bars are the devil, whatever it is. Right? You got all these different things. Or You know what? I can't eat that kind of food anymore. Less sugar, less carbs, more lean protein. And whatever the superfood of the day is, fill it with kale, fill it with avocado, whatever it is, right? And so we've had this understanding in our life that our goal was to kind of start getting the junk out, right? And some of you believe that when you come to church, your job is to clean up your life, okay? I gotta not do that anymore, gotta not do that. And then, so you have this nasty part of your life, and you go, okay, the, the goal now is to invite this spiritual being, right? Jesus, that's what you hear in the church, uh, to, to come in your life, right? And so you decrease the junk out of your life, and then you invite some good in your life. And you go, see, doesn't that feel so much better? Oh, it's so nice. But the reality is our life is still filled with muck and mire. And you go, okay, it can't just be that I add a little bit of Jesus, add a little bit of whatever my flavor of the deity is. And so you go, okay, then what's the solution? Then you go back and go, well, it can't be spoonfuls. Something more drastic needs to happen. Sell the house, get the new job, right? Get the new spouse, whatever it is. And you're just emptying yourself out going, oh, finally, look at that. Finally, got to get some more, okay? Set up new boundaries, right? The self-help book says I should implement some new things. And finally, you've emptied yourself out. And finally, you have some room. And you go, oh, okay. Now you go to church and you hear, you need Jesus. Okay, well, Jesus, should you, can you do something about it? And you kind of add a little Jesus to your life, right? You got more room. So you come to church every week. You even come on Wednesdays, right? All those different things. You think, oh, doesn't that feel so good? Doesn't that feel so lovely and perfect? And finally, you come in here, you have that supernatural experience. Hey, I think God's real. I saw some people raising their hands. I even tried to raise my hand, whatever it is. Then you go back to the middle of your week. But something interesting happens. Now, this is within the church, but outside the church as well. And no one told you this, because you told you, if you told, we told you that if you'd stop misbehaving and start behaving, God would be happy with you. If you stopped doing all those things and instead invited Jesus in, then everything would get fixed. And then somewhere you realize that what actually happened is inside you just becomes this really messy war right? It's not like you feel, oh, life is so great and so jolly. You go, okay, I invited Jesus in, but I don't actually feel better. What I'm actually aware of is just how broken I am, right? So this is what our life looks like, right? We have this idea that we got to pretend and be like, everything's all nice and jolly, but deep down, you hope people don't see inside you because you know there's this, this filth, this lie, this deceit, this secret sin that's just looming inside of you. And so what the church does, it says, you know what, don't talk about that. Just stay busy, stay busy, mix it up, see if you can get it all done. And what ends up happening is you can't see clearly at all. And then finally, it's just this messiness, but as it settles over and over again, as it settles, what ends up happening inside of us is we are deeply aware of what's going on in us. We are deeply aware that there are parts of us that we are disgusted by, right? Paul talks about this. He says, the very things I don't want to do, I do. And the things that want to do, I can't do, right? There's just this thing. And so we have just lived in this place as a church to go, well, we're not really sure what to do with this. So last week we looked at this passage where John the Baptist says, hey, the, the, the goal is that Jesus must increase and we must decrease. And we've seen that as, okay, let's get this stuff out. But when you look at that passage, what the scriptures are really saying is the reality is it's not about your decreasing. The decreasing is actually a result of something else. In fact, the, the word is literally, he must, it's necessary for Jesus to increase. And as a result of the increase, guess what naturally happens? All that junk in your life eventually decreases. So this is this cumulative effect. And so it's this reality that we do invite Jesus in. And as we do, what happens is Jesus does all the work. He's the one who empties out all the nastiness. He's the one who does all that stuff. And eventually what happens is we look back, maybe it's weeks, maybe it's months, maybe it's years, and we go, we're not really sure what happened. 
because we were filled with all this muck and mire and the very things that I used to want to do, guess what? They don't bring me any satisfaction anymore. And then there's this even better picture. As Jesus continues to increase in our life, right? As he continues to increase, what happens is all that stuff comes out. And then what starts overflowing out of you isn't the mess that it used to be. Now when you have that wreck or someone has the uh, fender bender, the stuff that used to come out of you doesn't come out of you anymore, right? Now when you're pressed, that the, the nasty old you doesn't do those things anymore. And now what happens is this new, beautiful fruit is coming out of you. And you can't quite explain it because you're not the one who's done the work. And as we talk about serving our community, what's really going to, we're saying is there's an overflow out of you that gets the opportunity to do this. For, so for Christians, the idea is not that you go and fix yourself, empty yourself, do all those things. The reality is you're inviting Jesus into this, and the rest of it's all up to him, which is really hard to explain or communicate because we like our formulas, and we like our tangible ways of explaining all this stuff. And it gets even more complicated because Jesus actually talks about this process and how it happens. And he uses a really messed up word to do it. The word he uses is born again. Born again. So he's literally going, the old you died, you literally get a fresh start in a new life. And that's a really uncomfortable word to talk about. Um, in fact, when, I'm in, uh, when I was in Kenya 10, 12 years ago, they didn't refer to people as Christians. They referred to them as born again. And frankly, it made me a little uncomfortable. And some of you, you can be in the church world or be kind of in the, the other world looking and peering into the church. And that term bothers you too, right? Because many of us, right? Because when we think about born again, it's usually, for me, there's some, it conjures up some, some, like some descriptors that go with it, right? Here's one. Here's one that I would say that m- many of you might think is that you just think about those really emotional people, right? They're really emotional. They're the ones that they, they kind of march the beat of their own drum. They don't make a lot of sense. Everything's ethereal. They, they're, they're, they're smiling, but you're not sure if it's real or not. And there's just like this emotional like experience. They always talk about that Jesus, you know, meets them everywhere and speaks loudly to them. And you're going, I've never had any of those experiences. So either I'm not born again or to be born again means I got to be in some crazy ethereal world, right? So some of you have that understanding of it. So you got this, this really, um, this, this, spirit-filled, almost strange, like live in this crazy world, emotional, kind of ride the roller coaster of it. And what's interesting is some of you know those, some of those folks and you go, yeah, and they actually use their born-againness to um, just demand forgiveness for their bad behavior, right? So they just keep messing up, but they're going, but Jesus forgives me. You should too, right? So you got this emotional piece that some of us put in that category. Uh, another one a lot of us think uh, would be we have this like this idea of to be born again, you start out bankrupt. Like the people who are born again, they had those horrific experiences in their life where, you know, they ended up bankrupt. They ended up, you know, in the slum somewhere. They ended up in prison. And so their life was just completely wrecked. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes in and fills them. And so they had to, they have this massive, crazy testimony of just uh, this transformation. And you've never experienced that. And so you're like, well, my, I'm not really that bankrupt. I mean, I'm Life's pretty good for me. I got food in the pantry, clothes in the closet, you know, all those kind of things. And so kind of imagine that there's a category of people that born again probably works for them, but it's because of the, kind of the experience of their life. You haven't had those. So you go, oh, yeah, that's another group of people. They have the cute testimonies, they, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's not my story. So some of us kind of view the born again folks as really emotional, emotionally driven. Um, the other ones um, would be the, you know, the, the bankrupt piece. And then the third one, and I think this is one that a lot of us are hung up on, um, is we attach born-againness to the evangelical right wing of politics, right? So we have this understanding that the born-again folks are 
the ones who are always trying to push their political agenda, trying to legislate change. By the way, I think the, the wrong approach is legislating change. We could talk about politics all day long. Not going to happen here in this moment, though. I think the right, like the idea that somehow behavior modification comes through a set of new laws is a, it's a pretty complicated thing. And so you would view that and go, yeah, see they, and by the way, a lot of these born again folks who hold up the bullhorn, declare these things, they got that secret mess in their life and eventually it comes out and you're like, see, they always have this agenda. So you, many of us view the born again folks as the really closed minded political folks who are absolutely correct that they're right and everybody else is wrong, right? And so we got the motion, got the bankruptness and you got this uh, you kind of view this political agenda. And so, but when Jesus is about to talk about this, and we're going to spend some time in John chapter 3, looking at what it means to be born again. And by the way, he makes some pretty interesting declarations that in order to experience the kingdom, you must be born again. In order to have this new life, it is a necessary, um, it, is, it is a prerequisite for any kind of uh, joyful kingdom living, right? So he does clearly explain that. And so, but what's interesting is the way by which he shows us this is through this interesting dude named Nicodemus. You know, Nicodemus is not an emotional guy. He is an academic. He's a brilliant, he's affluent, his life's not broken. And the fact that he comes to Jesus asking these things actually shows that he's open-minded to some new ideas or new thoughts, right? So he is none of the things that we would typically identify with as born again. Now, by the way, as we're going to look at this and read it, what's interesting is this is the passage by which you get all the John 3.16 signs from, right? That for God so loved the world. So the, probably the, the number one most known Christian passage shows up in this passage as it relates to um, uh, this, this you know, set of scriptures as it relates to being born again. So um, have you ever seen that verse, wonder what that verse means, all that kind of stuff, Christian, non-Christian, let's, let's put some different, let's put some um, open um, hearts and minds and eyes to this and see what God can be talking about as it relates to born again. And so Jesus is going to clearly explain that if you want this kind of life, on this kind of life, the only way by which you can do that is by being born again, okay? So let's see what that means. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. He, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So a couple things to think here. Um, the Pharisees were like the, they were the keepers and the teachers of the law, okay? So um, basically what would happen is they would be the, the preachers of the day. People would come into the synagogue. By the way, in order to get into the synagogue at this point 2,000 years ago, there was a temple tax, right? So they were figuring out different ways to pay for the building. You know, I was reading back through this. Um, I don't know, in a lot of Presbyterian church history, the way by which churches were um, kind of taken care of, you know, we talk about tithing and giving. Back in the day, um, what would happen is there would be this massive big layout out in the, like in the, in the lobby and the the foyer, whatever it is, and the narthex, whatever, whatever term you want to use there. And in it, there would be a listing of all the pews. And you could write your name on what pew you wanted, and there was a pew rental fee. So, like, you literally would rent the pew. That's how the building was taken care of. That's how the pastor was paid. And so, literally, you had assigned seats that you would pay for. It's so complicated and messy. But 2,000 years ago, the way by which you were able to come into the temple, which, by the way, these guys held that the only way you could please God was by following the rules and coming to the temple each week. They would have to pay a tax to get in there and make some sacrifices. So they'd be paying for animals that they'd have to sacrifice, and then they'd have to pay a tax to get into the building. And so um, Nicodemus was one of the, if not the chief teacher of this 
this environment. So he was a teacher, and it says he was a Pharisee, meaning he was the keeper and the ruler of the laws. He basically said, there's a way, there's a creed by which you please God, and it's by following all the rules. Now, let me let you peer in a little bit into Nicodemus' life. He didn't follow all the rules, because nobody did. So there's one thing that all of us understand. None of us are as good at following the rules as we want to pretend that we are, right? So Nicodemus was aware. Now, he wouldn't share it with anybody else. None of the religious leaders would have shared that they had mess in their own lives. So they understood or believed that perception equaled reality. So Nicodemus was a guy who was really good at teaching the, the, the book and pretending that his life was better than other people's, right? And so, uh, so he would live in this category where he'd stand up in front of people and say, do as I say, because I'm also doing that. But deep down, he wasn't because nobody was, right? And so he was a Pharisee, uh, the, kind of the, the head teacher, right? Now, on the other side, it says he was also a member of the Jewish council, right? So that's part of the Sanhedrin. That would be one of the interesting things. You got the, the Roman government overseeing all this land in Jerusalem and different places, but they didn't want to deal with all the complicated parts of people's religions. And so what they did is they kind of had a court of appeals that people could, could deal with, and they actually allowed the Jewish leaders to kind of reign as judges over these things. So not only was he the, the chief teacher, he was also the one who was in charge at making sure people who didn't behave got the justice that was necessary to get them behave, right? So he was the implementer of the consequences and the teacher of the law. So that's who this guy is. So he is a very religious person, and he decides to show up to Jesus, right? This is interesting because um, first century people don't like Jesus because he said you shouldn't pay a temple tax. He said that you could worship God in spirit and truth in all places. So he literally was coming to abolish this broken religious system. He actually told people that none of them could follow the rules and that following the rules would not get them access to God. And so everything these guys were teaching and proclaiming was in kind of the exact opposite of what, um, what Jesus was teaching. And so they didn't like him. In fact, that they're, they're kind of the, the chief leaders and finally killing Jesus to stop this deal. But in this place, um, um, uh, Nicodemus comes in, so we know his title, know what he does. In verse 2, it says this. He came to Jesus at night. This is important. Not going to come in the middle of the day. Can't let people know this because this shows his openness to ideas, but also understanding that uh, he can't be found out here. Right? Remember, he was perception equals reality type of guy. Rabbi, so he's going to give him, he's going to puff him up a little bit, acknowledge that he's a good teacher. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So he's going, okay, blind people see, lame people walk, dead people live. There's something you're doing here. And if it's a, a secret formula, I would also like to use it because it would be really valuable in kind of my domain, right? I mean, I could charge an additional admission price if I could do these things. So, hey, we think that you probably have access to God. So I'm coming to you and I'm going to ask you. We've seen some fruit, some evidence of it. So we know that you're doing something special. Now, usually when I'm... When anybody approaches Jesus, particularly when they ask him a question, you'll see it throughout the scriptures, Jesus rarely, if ever, answers the question. He usually comes back with another question, or he tells a story. So this is really interesting, because he does none. First of all, Nicodemus doesn't ask a question, and Jesus is going to give him a specific answer. This is, this is unusual for Jesus, so this is really, really important. You go, okay, well, this is how Jesus decides to respond here, not in some, you know, secret missional way. He's going to be very direct probably worth paying attention. So verse 3, this is what Jesus says. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you. Now this is really important, guys. You don't see this too often, but here's what Jesus is saying here. He is saying, if you pay attention to nothing else today, or this week, or this month, or this year, 
You should pay attention to this. Hey, Nicodemus, I don't care what your day's been like. I don't know what you've done this week, but you are not going to get more important information than what I'm about to share with you. So what Jesus is saying is very truly, what I say is, by the way, always true, always true. But he is highlighting the fact that you should pay careful attention to this. Now, if you're a Christian in this room, or not a Christian in this room, uh, wherever you kind of sit, I would just say, and this is not hyperbolic, you are not going to hear a more important statement than what you're about to find out right here in these scriptures. This is no self-help book, no podcast you listen to, no, you know, TV show or news channel or interview you see, long range, short range, no testimony you see. You are not going to, not going to this week, not going to hear something more important than these words. He's going, Nicodemus, what I'm about to tell you is the most important thing you could possibly understand. So for you as well. This is the most important thing you can possibly understand. I don't know that I could, I, I could emphasize that enough. Not anything I'm going to tell you, anything else. But what Jesus is about to tell you, nothing more important in your life, okay? Even if you don't believe in this stuff, nothing more important in your life. This is what he says. No one can see the kingdom of God. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, um, you got the synoptic gospels. Uh, uh, the, basically, you got these four different biographies about Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. Like they kind of share a little bit different perspective and a lot of the same stories. That's why they're called the synoptic gospels. So they're all very similar. And they all talk a lot about Jesus and they talk a lot about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of uh, heaven, right? So you will see some interchange there where the kingdom of God, this experience of God and the kingdom of heaven, meaning what it looks like for our earth to experience that. They're going to refer to it a lot. The gospel of John, this biography says this very, very rarely. So when it pops up, it's something you pay attention to. And what Jesus is going to say here, if you're interested in figuring out this way of life, both the, how do I live in the here and now and enjoy it, and how do I gain access to those things eternal, Jesus says very clearly, listen, listen, there's nothing more important, Nicodemus, you're not going to hear anything more important. If you want to, watch this, see, not even experience, not get into yet, if you even want to see it, if you even want to see it, if you want to see what's going on, you want to see God at work, your first step is to be born again. Your first step is to be born again. If you want to experience this and even see this and understand this, you're going, I don't really get this. I don't really get this. Yeah, I get it. I get it. He's going, the prerequisite to seeing this, many of you don't see it. Many of us don't see it, right? Because you have not seen this. You can't see this. Nicodemus, you will not understand it. None of this makes sense to you. You don't understand what I'm saying until you first are born again. You're going, oh gosh, I don't want to be born again. Those people are creepy, right? I don't want to do that. I don't want to talk that way. I don't want to burn my CDs. I don't want to do that. Like you feel that pressure in this. And he's going, the prerequisite for literally seeing the kingdom of God is actually being born again. And many of us, many of us go to church, been going to church for a long time. Your parents went to church, your grandparents went to church. And honestly, you've never seen the kingdom of God. And here's what we understand there. That's not a jab at you. It's okay, guys. Like, really, no pressure here. I'm not trying to manipulate you. Just want to be really clear what he's saying is, the prerequisite for it. You're not going to hear something more important than this, Nicodemus. If you really want to experience it, you're doing all this work, doing all this teaching. You're literally the, the key holder for the synagogue, and you can't see God at work unless you're born again. Now, you can imagine, this is really nice because it's complicated us. We don't like that term, and we're going, I wonder what it means in the Greek. It means just that. It means to be born again. It means like exactly a physical born again. Like you coming out, dirty and mucky and gross. I mean, it's exactly what you imagine in the living room. That's what this term means, right? And so he says to this day, I'm going, you're going to have to go back into the living room and you're going to be born again. And you can imagine Nicodemus going, that is some crazy talk. You know, you know that? Watch what the next first word is. <laughs> uh, Jesus, how can someone be born when they are old? 
Wait, wait. You tell me I have to be a baby again? You mean I, do I got do I got to wear diapers? Right? Is that what you want me to do here? Like, oh, and then he even dives down a little bit deeper, and he goes, uh, "Surely they cannot enter the second time into their mother's womb to be born." He's going, "Jesus, if I call my mom up and tell her that this is the plan, she's not going to let me come to Christmas, right? Because." It's not going to make any sense to her, and she's going to be like, stay away from me. No, no, no. Hey, mommy. No, stay away, kid, right? I'm a lot bigger now, Jesus. Like, do you understand? I mean, this is, it's really cute to think about and read, but it, this is crazy. He's literally telling them that you've got to go back into the womb. Uh, how do you get there, guys? <laughs> yeah, so this is crazy talk. I mean, I could spend some time. You want me to draw pictures of what he's trying to explain to Jesus? Like, so, just joking. Won't do that, right? This is this is nuts. Like, so it makes sense to Nicodemus and us. We go, well, okay, not interested in being born again, not just because of all the, the weird contextual, you know, things I think about when you talk about born again, both on the crazy spiritual journey and now the literal one I can't even think about, right? So he goes, how do we do this? Are you telling me I have to enter my mother's womb a second time? <laughs> Jesus answered, watch this. Very truly, I tell you, he's going to say this three times. And again, he's going, Nicodemus, there is nothing more important for you to hear in your life all the things you've teaching, all the stuff you've done, this is the most important stuff. And I would argue the same thing for you. There's nothing that's more important than these words. He's going to say it again. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God. Remember, first it was even see it. Even see it. Can't even understand this. Don't even get this. Second of all, you definitely can't enter and experience it. So one, you can't get it. You won't, won't see it. Second of all, you will not experience this. This will not be your life. You can go to church all you want to. You can do all the rules. You can dress up well. You can pretend well. You can even behave well. You can get up every day and try to follow the Ten Commandments to your best and be kind and loving and gracious and let people out in front of you in traffic at the Eagles game, right? You can do those things. You can do all those things. And none of it's going to help you see the kingdom of God or experience it. Unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Another really confusing thing, and I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but I do want to highlight it. Um, this is a, a complicated verse. And some people have latched onto this. You know, there's this picture, really, really cool. Um, earlier, John the Baptist is baptizing. You can go back and listen to it in a couple of weeks ago, where um, John the Baptist, another John, uh, just kind of declaring the kingdom of God's close. He says, I baptize with water, meaning I'm just showing you the, the uh, procedure, the, the symbol, and Jesus goes, no, but, but Jesus baptizes with the Spirit. No, Jesus actually does something supernatural, something that is beyond the natural realm. There's one thing we think about baptism is this cute symbol of the old us dying, new us coming to life, but there's actually this other part of it, like there's this sacred, the sacrament we call it, where something sacred is actually happening, and so Jesus goes, there's a Spirit that comes, and we see it with Jesus. He gets baptized, and the Spirit comes and dwells on him, and so Jesus says something. He goes, uh, you must be born of two things, water and the Spirit. And some people are going, see, that means you have to get baptized. The very first thing, if you want to be a Christian, you have to get baptized. In fact, there are denominations, Christian denominations, who have told us, told you, that the only way you get into heaven is to be baptized, right? So that this is kind of like the, they hang on to this, go, nope, nope, you're going to hell unless you get baptized. You can believe all the right stuff, you know all that stuff, but without baptism, you, uh, you, you won't enter the kingdom of God because it says water and spirit. And so I just want to talk about that real briefly. I don't think that's true at all. Uh, when you're trying to find something that's true, uh, false, when someone makes a claim that's true, your, your goal was actually to find a counterexample, right? This is how it works in uh, disproving a theory or a hypothesis is to find a counterexample. Well, we see in the New Testament, right before Jesus dies on the cross, there's two thieves. Uh, he's having some conversations. One is defiant, rebellious, and prideful, and 
this horrific, and the other one looks at Jesus, calls him Lord, and says, will you remember me? And Jesus says in that moment, today you'll see me in paradise. There was no baptism, and he invites him in, so there's a counterexample. So what I think this is talking about, pretty confident, uh, but it's open for discussion, I guess, at some point, um, is when you think about the two types of birth, and you think about, like, if you're a parent, what kind of initiated that birth? Do you remember what happened first? The water broke, right? And so that would show the, the birth of the flat. Like this would be the first birth. So he's going, first you had to enter the, you had to get in this world, right? Uh, you, had to, you had to be here. So the good news is, is for all of us here, that prerequisite's already been met. Check, okay? So you've already gotten the first one. Unless you want to experience the kingdom of God, there's two steps. First step, you have to be born. That's all of us. So we've already, you're halfway there, guys. So you've already met that goal. And then he says something, and he says, but then you also have to be born of the Spirit, so the water and the Spirit. And so I think what he's getting at here and what he's trying to help Nicodemus understand is, Nicodemus, what part did you play in having your first birth, right? What'd you do, right? You're annoying, you screamed, you kicked, but did you create yourself? Did you do anything in that little incubator, that womb? Did you do anything to make yourself live? Nicodemus, what part did you play? Zero, right? How did, did you play any part in you getting here? No, no. So the the, the, the reality of us being alive, um, two things, right? Mommy and daddy, they love each other. First comes love, marriage, whatever that is, glass of wine. I don't, I don't know what it was for your parents, right? So you got that piece, right? Uh, and uh, so we go, well, there's sperm, there's egg, we got that. And we would agree there's something supernatural that just has to happen. You know, I know many of you have been trying for quite some time and it hasn't worked out for you, right? You got all the right ingredients, right? And others of you, you weren't trying at all, right? You even put up all the obstacles and yet something crazy happens, right? There's this... This, this way by which life is created. So he's going, hey, Nicodemus, you know how like you were born and you did nothing to do it, do with it the first time? Guess what? It's the same with the second time. First time is water, second time spirit, but you do nothing to make this happen. You can't save yourself. You can't fix yourself. So here's the really beautiful part about this, guys. If you've never seen this, if you've never been born again, it's not your fault. It's not your fault because you can't save yourself. You can't fix yourself. You can't be born again. In fact, the, the Bible actually tells us that in order to do that, you have to have faith, and faith is a gift of God. Now, the reality is I wholeheartedly believe Jesus wants to give you that gift today. I wholeheartedly believe that if you've never experienced that, that he wants to give that to you so he, you can open your eyes and see it. So he's going, there's two things. You didn't do anything the first time. Can't do anything the second time either in Nicodemus. By the way, we do believe Nicodemus finally gets this because in John chapter 19, I think is where it is, when Jesus dies, him and another former Pharisee go at night and take Jesus' body and care for his body and prepare his body in this great, beautiful um, illustration of their, their love and affection towards the Savior, right? Now, the good news is Jesus will come back to life, proving that all the stuff that he's saying is true. And so he's saying, water and the Spirit, verse 6, he continues this thought. And he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. Didn't do anything the first time, can't do anything the second time, Nicodemus. And then he continues it, and he says, you should not be surprised by this. My say, am I saying? You should be born again. So he's going, hey, Nicodemus, this is what's so messed up. Literally, people pay money to listen to you teach them about my ways. Literally, you open up the Torah, the Old Testament, and you talk about one day there's going to be a Savior. But you somehow miss all that, and instead you focus on the behavior modification of the rules. You spend all your time and energy telling people they should pretend that they're better than they are. You spend all the time and energy declaring how good you are and how good you are at following the rules. Nicodemus, I know everything about you. How in the world, as I'm teaching this, you're confused and you still don't understand it. Like you're the, you're the deepest teacher as it relates to understanding these rules. All 613 of them, Nicodemus. At what point, why have you not concluded out loud that you can't follow all the rules correctly? Like how do you not know this? 
How can you not get that there has to be some other, the same way you're born the first time, there has to be something supernatural that happens that gets you into that new life. How do you not get that, Nicodemus? And then he says this, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. So here's what he's saying. This is, they would have gotten this um, because they were in a, a culture that uh, they didn't eat pork, so there's very few land animals they ate, and a lo- they ate a lot, a lot of uh, fish, right? So this was a, you know, a coastal community. They would have spent a lot of time fishing, and they would have understood that um, to fish, you had to get out into some certain waters, and there's only one or two options to get out there. One was row, rowing, right? Rowing, which was exhausting and complicated. And it even got more complicated because your goal was to catch lots and lots of fish way out in the deep. Then you had to bring them back to shore to a point where it was impossible for these folks to do that without exhaustion. Like they understood that they could not, they could not lean on their own abilities and their own might, no matter how strong they were, because that was just not going to be a way by which they were going to be able to sustain this occupation. So what they did, clever. They created big wind sails, and they understood this. Anybody would understand this in this culture. They understood that the way by which they would, they would do this is they had, had to harness this power that's beyond them, right? They didn't control it. They didn't know how it was coming. They didn't have, you know, uh, a lot of forecasting, but they were able to kind of keep up with it, and they would harness this power that didn't come from them for the sake of achieving what it is they're trying to achieve. So he's going, hey, Nicodemus, you get this. Your people get this. How many of you create wind? You, there are no motorboats here. The only option for your sustainability is for this, this realm, this supernatural realm, this realm that God does. The, you can't create weather, right? And so, the, hey, the wind does what it wants to. No, you can lean into the wind. You can acknowledge it's there. You can't go, hey, here's where it's coming from. How's, here's how it's working. You can't define or manufacture that. But you can see that it's there. And it's going. So the wind is a, an example, Nicodemus, of how all this works. So you know how you get where you need to go. It's not by rowing because you'll be exhausted. It's by allowing the wind to move you there. So he's using this analogy, and he says, he says this, uh, how can this be? You know, I, when I think about this in terms of, okay, let's talk through this, this born again, there's kind of three questions I think we have to answer. One is, well, how does this work, right? How does this supernatural thing work? The second one is, why does it work? And the third one is, okay, what's actually happening? So here Nicodemus goes, well, how can this be? And just frankly, I, I might be reading into this. I just imagine this is probably a little bit of a defeatist question. Because he just said to Nicodemus, you've been teaching this your whole life, and you're not getting it. And so I can imagine he going, like, this is kind of, how did I miss it? Right? You're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and you're hearing this for the first time, thinking that somehow you are supposed to behave well enough to make God happy with you, and you're exhausted by it. And you go, wait, wait, it wasn't about my behavior? It wasn't about my performance? How can this be? Like Nicodemus is going, this is my whole livelihood. How can this be, right? And Jesus says, this is a rebuke, by the way. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. You've been charging admission for this. Some of the things you're going to see throughout the scriptures, and I'd say our church is responsible for this in terms of the scriptures. What you're going to see over and over again is Jesus is going to comfort people that are afflicted. And he's going to afflict people that are comfortable. Right, he's going to comfort people that are afflicted. But in this moment, Nicodemus has his own great little plan. He's got a, a good life. He's probably got a nice house. He's got lots of influence. He's got lots of Twitter followers, whatever it is, right? And, and in this moment, what he's going to get, he's going to go, how can this be? And, Nick, and Jesus is going to go, you mean to tell me you've been opening up the Bible, the Torah, every single day, and you've been declaring this, and you do not even understand this, Nicodemus? Like, how? 
How can this be, right? No, but Jesus says, in order to see this, you have to be born again. In order to experience, you have to be born again. So if he's never done that, it makes sense he couldn't see this. And he's going, how can this be? And he's saying, you mean you've been charging people for this and you don't know? And watch this. He says it again. Very truly, I tell you, meaning Nicodemus, point one's been made. You've got to see it. Point two is made. You've got to experience it. But the only way it's born again, let me give you the third point. I tell you, we speak of what we know. And we testify to what we have seen, but still, you people, do not accept our testimony. So he uses the word we and our, that's one to talk about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But he's also talking about all human history. Nicodemus, you stand up and read the words of Isaiah. Who do you think he was talking about? Right? You, you read these prophets. You read these stories of going, how in the world are we going to save ourselves? And they go, we can't save ourselves. We need a God. Do you not understand? You've been teaching on the band-aid, these solutions of you know, these sacrifices. But there's always been a Messiah to come. How do you miss that? And he goes on and he goes, I spoke to you on, uh, of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things, right? If you can't even get this, Nicodemus, if you can't get that, you can't make yourself be born. You can't make the wind go. How can you understand these earthly things or these heavenly things? And then he's going to give us understanding of why we can't understand it. This is what he says, verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, every time you see the Son of Man in scriptures, that points to his humanity. So there's two different terms you see throughout the, uh, the Gospels. where Jesus refers to them this way. The Gospel writers refer to it. Sometimes they say the Son of God, okay? That means that, that's showing that he is divine. That means he always was. That means he's God. But when you see the Son of Man, that always talks about his incarnation, meaning he was in heaven and he stepped on this planet. This talks about his humanity, the willingness that he actually said they are lost, and the best way to help a lost person is to go grab their hand and lead them to where to be found. And he says, no one has go- ever gone to the heaven except the one who came from heaven. So here's what he's saying. He's going, there are no Google Maps, right? You don't know how to get there. And this is, this is really, was easy for them to understand this. If you want to go someplace, particularly you can't, like there's no radar telling you about the weather. They understood fully. The best way to get where you're going is to get advice from someone who's already been there, right? The best way to get instructions or directions on where you're going is to go for, get it from the person who just came from there, right? You know, when you're driving down uh, I-95, and you see all the traffic backed up the other way. I don't know why it makes you feel good. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. You shouldn't be like, ah, oh, it feels so good for me. Ha ha, they got to sit in it. You shouldn't feel that, but you do. And you go, and you can call a friend and go, don't go that way, right? Because you just saw it. And so Jesus is going, is going, you're all looking for this heaven, and Nicodemus, you're telling them to follow all these rules. Have you ever been to heaven, Nicodemus? Have you even ever seen heaven, Nicodemus? Do you know how to get to heaven, Nicodemus? Guess what? I've been there. I lived there. It's my home. I just came from there, and I know exactly how to get back there, right? So he's going, Nicodemus, the only solution for all this is not more clever teaching, more rule following. The only solution is you follow the one who came from there. And by the way, that's your only way to get there, Nicodemus, is if the only way you can get back to heaven is for following, is following the Son of Man, right? You got these two different things. You got this idea of going, how do we live in the here and now, and how do we gain access to that supernatural world? And he's going, I'm the one who came from there. Then he gives us some understanding, and he's going to peer into uh, Nicodemus's understanding in terms of teaching and leverage it. So beautiful. Verse 14. Now remember, this is all coming up before John 3.16, the passage you're very familiar with. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of, man, son of man must be lifted up. So he goes, okay, Nicodemus, let me, let me kind of meet you in your world for a little while. 
And so he's talking to Nicodemus, and there's this passage in Numbers. Uh, Moses leading people out of, uh, they were in Egypt as slaves. Now he's leading them to the promised land. And should have taken them, you know, just a few days, a couple weeks. And now they're in this deal for 40 years. And it tells us in Numbers that they are groaning and complaining. They don't like the food. They don't like the water. They actually say in this passage, the food is detestable. Like, and we detest it. And they're going, you don't work right? You're all complaining. You don't have a job. You can't buy your own food. And God keeps providing you food. And you're complaining. You're sitting there watching Maury Povich, and you're like, I've already seen this episode. I don't know which lawyer to call about my, you know, whatever it is. You're watching the daytime TV shows, and you're just complaining, right? And so they're complaining. We detest the food. We don't like the food. And all of a sudden, God is going, oh, you want, you want some um, awareness? And so what he does is he goes, you don't understand that I, it's my provision that gives to you, and it's my protection. So in that moment, God removes one of those. He, there he eats. He removes his protection. And guess what happens? These venomous snakes come out in the scriptures, and they start biting these people. And these people are all getting bit by snakes, right? That should get your attention, right? And they're, so they get bit, and they're dying. Okay, this terrible story. These whiny people are complaining, and God goes, okay, you don't want my protection or provision? Here you go. They get bit by snakes. And now all of a sudden, when they're bit by snakes, when they're about to die, guess what they do? They remember that God is good in the source of provision and protection. So they cry out to him, God, 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 would you save us? We've all done it. Like, would you save us? And Moses is going, God, what do you want me to do? And God tells him to do this really, really strange thing. You're looking back up at numbers. It's crazy. He says, Moses, what I want you to do is I want you to create this, this snake head, the snake head, like bronze snake head, put it on your staff, and I just want you to hold it up in the air, right? And then I want you to instruct all the people. Tell them that if they want to be saved from the venom inside them, the poison that is destroying their body, there's only one solution. Look up at the snakehead. Right? You know, you can imagine these people going, Moses, that's stupid. That's just stupid. Like, that's not going to fix me. I need anti-venom, right? Or I need you to come bite on me and suck all the poison out. Here, Moses, suck all the poison out. He's going, no, no, look at the snakehead. Look at the snakehead. They're going, this is just dumb. This doesn't make any sense. Naturally, that doesn't make any sense at all. That can't fix you. Like you get to see a snakehead, a fake snakehead, by the way, and that's going to fix us? And yeah, he held it up, and guess what happened? For the ones who looked at it, they were healed, supernaturally, instantaneously. The others, they died. They died. And so what God is saying here is, hey, hey, Nicodemus, got to be born again. Let me tell you how that looks. You remember when Moses held up the snakehead, and the people argued that they shouldn't look at it, but then the ones who did, they were saved? And he says, just, uh, so he continues in verse 15, and he says, uh, that, uh, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So he goes, you want to be born again? Here's how it works. You just look at Jesus. No, no, that can't make, that doesn't make any sense. Don't have to make some sacrifices, follow some rules, pay some more admission prices. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it didn't make any sense to the, to the Israelites either. But for those who did, there's this supernatural moment where all of a sudden they were completely healed. So you can argue at Nicodemus, you can think that you're smarter than God is, because this is not something you can fix on your own. It takes a faith. Can you look up at Jesus and go, he's the one who heals? And then he makes this beautiful statement that we all know. So how does it happen? I mean, how does it happen? Really simple. God does all the work. Jesus does all the work. He just tells you to look at him. Open your eyes and look at him, right? And so you go, okay, that's how it, what happened, how it happens. Not sure. And then why does it happen? So based on just that story, he goes, here's how it happened when God saved these people. Why did he save those people even though they were grumbling and complaining? Why did he do that? Why did he do that? And why is he going to do it again for us? For, here's because. For God, oh, so loved the world. So loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you understand this? That whoever follows him, whoever obeys him, whoever does all the rules, whoever goes to church the most, gives the most money, none of that. It is very simple. Whoever believes in him, whoever looks up to him, right? Whoever looks. Why? Oh, because he loves you. 
He doesn't want to remove his provision and protection. No, he will. And that's how we get awareness that we need him. Oh, will, he will for sure. Why? Because he so loves you, right? There are very few people in this world I so love. I love all of you. But I so, so love my wife. I so, so love my kids. I so, so love some really close friends. Right? He so loves you. So loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So when you see this, he's telling Nicodemus, look, he so loves you. He so loves you, Nicodemus, and you're so arrogant. You think it's about the temple tax. You think it's about your smart teaching. It's none of those things. The way you get this is you just go, God, I believe you. You open up the lid and let him in. And see, we don't get this. We go, no, see, that's it. He wants people to perish. No, he doesn't. Watch this, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. This is not about God's anger and wrath towards you. This is not about him wanting you to live with venom going up into your heart. He's going, no, he needs you to get some awareness. Because he didn't want you to feel condemned. He wanted you to look up and go, I can't save myself. I want access to the good life here now, and I want access into heaven. And I can't do that. Because he didn't send his, uh, him into the world to condemn it. But to save the world. How? Through him. And he says this again. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever looks up at the snake, whoever looks up at Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So he's going, look, look. You don't have to make this more difficult. It's actually really simple. Whoever believes in him, they're, they're not condemned. They're freed. They're born again. And now they get to see this cumulative effect. But those who don't, guess what? They're already filled with poison. They're already filled with poison. It's not like God's injecting poison into you. The reality is we're already filled with poison. We are. You know it in your own heart. I know it in my own heart. We're already filled with this. So the only solution is to invite God in to look up and go, yeah, yeah, God. I believe in you. So this born again is not some crazy, supernatural experience you have to have. It's literally going, Jesus, I believe you're God's son. In the same way that Moses lifted up the snake, I understand that God lifted you up, pointing to the resurrection. I understand that you are God, and I'm looking up, I'm going, you alone are God, and you alone are good, and I believe in you. So the, uh, what ha- how it happens, God does all the work. One day he just opens your eyes. Why does it happen? Because he loves you deeply. So I want to explain to you real quick as we finish up what actually is happening here. Like, what is actually happening? And so, when you think about a new birth, uh, you think about all the firsts for your kids, right? They, they, they goo-goo for the first time. They roll over for the first time. They laugh for the first time. They walk for the first time. They talk back for the first time. You know all the things, right? And so, there's all these different things. There's all these new parts of your life, right? So, this process, how it happens, the old you leaves and the new you comes in. And I just wanted to real quickly share with you what those new things are. The first thing that happens is you become a new person, right? You see it throughout the scriptures. God actually usually changes people's names. I wish we still did that, right? All of a sudden, the old you is no longer you. The new you is here. Whether or not you want to agree with it, whether or not you can walk away from the old you, you are a new person. The second thing that happens is you get a new mind. This one's so beautiful to me because I lived most of my life going, why did no one ever teach me this? I grew up in church. Why did no one ever tell me that I didn't have to follow the rules or obey the rules? It wasn't about the rules. It was about Jesus. Why did no one ever teach me this? And then my youth pastor from growing up died last Saturday. And I was rethinking about all the things he taught me. And as I'm thinking, I'm going, he taught me all this stuff. He already taught me all this stuff. I just, my mind wasn't open to it, right? I just latched on to behavior modification and the things I could control. And the reality is, you'll start opening the scriptures, and all of a sudden with this new mind, you're going, that finally makes sense to me. I get that. Wow, I can't believe that. Wow, it was already always there. Hey, Nicodemus, you couldn't get it. You taught the whole Old Testament. But that's not the truth, right? Then all of a sudden, God comes in. And gives you, it makes you a new person. Then he gives you a new mind. And the third thing he does, he gives you a new family. So I'm saying, hey, we'd love to know you're here. 
because we would recognize that so much of that poison and venom that entered into our life came from our family of origin. And God in his great grace redeems that and gives us, not of flesh and blood, but of the spirit, a new family. Come eat with us on Wednesdays. Get in a group here. Start serving here. Fourth thing he gives us, it's a new power. New power. Now you don't understand it. And that makes sense. This is brand new, but you always will see this in hindsight. You'll look back on this and go, I don't know how that got out of me. And I don't know how I actually want to care for people and love people. I can't believe that happened. Uh, Jesus says that same power that conquered the grave, the one that defeated death, guess what? He gives that to you. No, you won't just have this like feeling. You're all there at all this. But as you look back in hindsight, what's happening little by little, day by day, cumulative effect is God is giving you this new power. And you're becoming a new person who now can defeat that stuff in your life, like, because it's decreasing, and Jesus' power is increasing. The fifth thing that happens, it gives you a new purpose. So we have those invite cards out there. That's why we're doing trail or treat, all these different things that we're going. Look, people's eyes haven't been opened, and this is, this is amazing news. You're telling me I can walk in the joy of the new kingdom and experience that if I can get that, right? So now every day you get to get up and live on a new purpose. This is crazy. None of us have these secular jobs or whatever it is. Get this, get this. Your job right now, this is crazy. Once you get this new purpose, your job is to be kingdom minded and live in this kingdom and enjoy this kingdom and point people to this kingdom every single day. And your boss happens to pay you to do that. It's crazy, crazy. Because all of a sudden everything changes. It's no longer about birth to death, getting the money in the bank, paying just for the mortgage. It's about this new purpose. Your house is no longer about just shelter. It's a new purpose to create some sanctuary, some space to connect other people, right? And the sixth one, last one is this. I love this, and the band's going to come up as we do this one. He gives you new desires. This one is so important in hindsight, because I never, you have to look back and you got to see it. But you see, the, the process of Christianity goes from have to to get to to want to. If you live in this have to, I have to read the Bible, I have to pray, I have to go to church. That is not the gospel. Your eyes are still closed. You have not been born again. If you just live in this, I have to do this. Because God is not about a have to God. But and what happens is you open your eyes and these new desires happen. And then it goes from have to to get to. I get to go to church. I get to talk to God. I get to understand him. I get to serve him. I get to do those things. And then what happens? I don't know how it happens. It just kind of switches one day. It goes from have to to get to. And then finally it goes to want to. And you'll notice one day you'll want to talk to God. Maybe you're not there yet, but you'll want to talk to God. You'll look forward to the times that you get to sit still and just talk to him. You'll want to pray to him. You'll, you'll want to read his Bible. Now you feel guilty about it. You'll want to. Then open up and it all makes sense because you've got a new mind. You'll, you'll want to. You'll want to sing to him. You'll want to stand up and sing, right? Something just transitions. And you'll look back at it. You don't know exactly when that moment is, but something will change from you. Get to it. You want to. You want to do these things. You want to serve him. You want to tell other people about him. You want your kids to follow him. You want all these things, right? And it goes from have to, that's not the, the gospel, to get to, that's the beginning of the gospel, to, to want to. That's what happens for us. And because I want to right now, I'm going to pray for you. And because I want to right now, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing the song about the declaration of what salvation looks like. And so, Jesus, boy, do I want to talk to you. And boy, do I want to talk to you about these folks out here who... Many of them know you and are finally starting to live in this joy and this freedom that comes with walking with you. And God, there are other people I actually believe you are giving them the faith in this moment to trust you. So just as Moses held up the snake, God, right, right now, God, would these folks just look up to you? Would that be the beginning of their salvation? Would that be the beginning of being born again? Does it require any kind of fancy words? It literally is just them saying, I believe you're the son of God. And I believe your ways are better than mine. And I believe you came uh, out of heaven to lead me to salvation, to forgive me of where I've gone wrong, and to walk with you from this point forward. So God, would you give people that faith? And God, would 
when we get the opportunity and when we want this opportunity right now to declare this goodness and song. And so, God, would you fill our hearts with gladness and will what comes out of us please you, please you, God. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing? Oh, man, I want us to know that. You have Jesus. You have Jesus. He's available to you. Uh, that's still confusing to you. A couple uh, really simple solutions. That back of that bulletin, jot some questions. Be happy to answer them on Tuesday. Or if you'd like to chat with one of our staff about that, about, okay, what does it mean to be saved? Be happy, happy to have that conversation this week. Just let us know. Or if you've got something going on in your life right there, you're going, I don't really want to head out yet. I'd like to pray. Right here to my right, we have folks here, Diane and 
Adelina and Patty would be happy, happy, happy to pray with you. So as people are going that way, you can come this way. We'd love to pray with you. No, uh, one last thing as you're standing and uh, uh, restless. Uh, this week, uh, next week, uh, is typically we got Christmas, Easter. Those are kind of big bumps in church attendance. And believe it or not, the first week in November is also a huge bump because of the time change. So this week is the perfect week to invite your friend or neighbor. They would be likely to come. Um, and so we have some invite cards out there, and it happens to be Halloween, and all these folks are going to be coming through your neighborhood and give out good candy and write a nice little invite and invite them to church. Or then on Wednesday night, this week is Trail or Treat. That's where all of our communities will come here, and we get to love them well. So we're still looking for some more stations. We've got about 30 already, but if you're interested in helping with the trails, go to the website, stop by the info center out in the lobby. Someone will be happy to chat with you. We'll have a meal at 5 and, or 5.30, and then at 6, we'll start the trails. You get to check those out. That's it this week. You have a great rest of your week, and see you next weekend or on Wednesday night.